This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. Okay, set aside that I'm a sex expert and I talk about other people's sex lives every single day. As a woman, I am also quite vocal about my sex life with my girlfriends. In fact, I wonder if men actually realize how much women talk about the sex lives that they're having. And I mean the good and the bad and all the ugly in between of it. And I think because of that, we get to hear how common some of the problems are that can be for other couples and for women that we might be experiencing around orgasms or lubrication or positions. But I know men don't seem to do the same. At least my dude friends always come to me to ask the questions that I know, because it's my profession, is super common. And I'm wondering if men only talk about the good, hot sex that they'd been having and not bring up the problems that they're experiencing, which might help to solve all of this wondering of, is there something wrong with me, or if I'm broken, or do other people experience this, or what's wrong? Well, my dudes, today we're going to have that conversation with you. I've got the sexy Caitlin Neal here to talk to us about our sexy men and some of the struggles that they might experience in the bedroom. Mm. But before we get to Caitlin, lovers, you are the reason that I do this show. I want to thank you all for tuning in and spreading the word, leaving the reviews and trying some of the suggestions that we recommend. I have been getting incredible feedback on the products that you've been trying and that I use myself because my goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex better. And if you haven't already, please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, and read more about how you can up-level your sex, love, and vitality. Ah, yum. So, Caitlin, hi, honey. Hey, hey babe, how are you? <laughs> oh, my God, I'm super delicious this morning. So I'm curled up, drinking my little matcha tea, which I think is a staple mm. for me at this point. I gave up coffee, <laughs> and uh, it's been a life changer. Do you Ooh, drink coffee? Wow. I do drink coffee. I give it up um, every month. Uh, for about a week around my cycle because I, it causes all kinds of weird stuff at that time, but I drink yeah. it about three weeks out of the month. Yeah. I, love it. <laughs> I don't know how you, you do that. It. How do you do, do go through the, the detox every month? I, I have mm. a hard time doing it every four months. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a fancy coffee drinker. I like my pour over. I get the goose snack. We drink the uh-huh. nice coffee bean. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're a connoisseur. I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caitlin is also a connoisseur of another sort. <laughs> she is a sex and relationship coach who helps men become confident lovers and amazing partners. In which we, mm-hmm. we need you in this life. We need you, Caitlin. <laughs> yes. 
What I love about yeah. your work is that you're a sexual health researcher and a policy analyst, and that you now work with clients all over the world, helping them with premature ejaculation, preventing erectile dysfunction, and developing unshakable confidence. And what mm. I really love about you is that, first of all, you're a little magical being. And you combine both your personal experiences, because I know you personally as well, mm -hmm. and evidence-based science in your work, which is not you just like spewing off like, well, I know this worked for me, so I'm just going to give it to them. But you like really right. back it up with some good shit. Yes. Thank you. I think that's so important in our field, right? Because sex is a little bit science and a little bit magic. And we can balance those to actually get the results that people are looking for. Yeah, for sure. And can I just confess that I had the biggest crush on you when we first met? Like <sighs> flutters in my body kind of crush. <laughs> that was so mutual. Oh. <laughs> Oh my God. I'm just sitting here with just woman crushing on her. She's fabulous. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to dive into this subject with you. Yeah. I think this is a topic that is so needed because, and I wonder from your perspective, do you think men talk about the realities of their sex lives? Like what's happening in the bedroom? <laughs> I don't think they do. I don't think that a lot of men have space that they share with other men where it's okay to be vulnerable about this stuff, Yeah. right? It's okay to be vulnerable about different areas like your work, um, your finances, right? I think that men have made a lot of headway in sharing space with each other about certain subjects, but sex remains kind of off the table for them to get real with each other about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, I've had partners in the past who um, might experience something in the bedroom and they're like, oh my God, this never happens to me. Or, you know, mm -hmm. like, or they, they just have so much shame. And I'm like, no, dude, like, this is super common, you know? Yes, yes, <laughs> they exactly. They, all, they often think it is just them or that they're the only, you know, that they're the only person who's ever had their challenge. And it is super common. Yeah, so that leads me to think that they just aren't talking about it. Like, they only talk about what's been hot or, you know, like, their sexual mm -hmm. escapades, but they don't talk about, like, when they couldn't get hard or when they couldn't, you know, maintain an erection or something like that. And I'm like, oh, are you stressed out? Are you this? Are you, do you struggle with intimacy? Right. <laughs> Right. As soon as you open up that conversation, actually, most of these challenges are not super difficult to transform, to fix, to change. Right. But you can't change them unless you start talking about it, unless you actually seek the help and the guidance that you need mm -hmm. in order to understand what's really going on. Yeah. And I think you and I are sex therapists and there's a, there can be a stigma around going to therapy and especially like talking about sex. So mm -hmm. let's I. I hope this conversation that you and I have today really gives permission for men to be like, oh, I don't have to be experiencing this. I don't have to be feeling this way for the rest of my life. Yes, please. I'd love to help them destigmatize and give them the permission that they need to get the help that they need so that their sex life can be as incredible as possible. Mm, you heard that. <laughs> so <laughs> what are some of the and what are some of the common problems that men might be experiencing in the bedroom? So 
the most common problem that I personally work with is premature ejaculation. Mm -hmm. So I specialize in working with men who are a little bit younger, usually under 50, but certainly premature ejaculation can, can impact a man at any age. It can impact him when he's never had a problem with it before. Uh, and, and so a lot of men are really surprised that, you know, they could be in their forties or fifties or even their sixties and suddenly be having this challenge that's more associated with younger men. Mm. Uh, yeah. And the other challenge that I think we see a lot of in our media, it's really common. It's easily discussed is erectile dysfunction. And my thought is that there's a lot less shame and stigma around erectile dysfunction because of its association with aging. Um, and because there's, you know, these, these, prescription-based, quote-unquote, cures to erectile dysfunction, mm, that yeah. it's really made it into our, um, you know, our culture as part of our conversation about male sexuality. That's a good point. And, and I'm wondering even with that, you know, because there's all the Viagra and the Cialis and that kind of stuff out there, you know, are we actually addressing the root problems or are we just covering it up and just so that we could keep going, going, going? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely that. And the medical model of that, okay, you've got this problem, there's a cure in the form of a pill, takes away from the actual work that could be doing, like the, that addresses the beauty of male sexuality that's not surrounded by just having an erection. Mm. Right? And so are these, you're talking premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction, are, mm-hmm. are there any other ones that are that you're seeing the most often come into your office? So I think the other ones I would label more under general stress, anxiety, and confusion around sex and sexual performance, Ooh. right? So that might be um, someone who has a lot of trouble becoming vulnerable with a new partner. Oh, my right? God. It's not... <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm taking notes yeah, right now, Caitlin. <laughs> oh, that's just, it's so common that I'll see someone and they'll come to me and say, you know, I just, I can't really get naked. I can't really like on a physical level, like take my clothes off, but also just on an emotional level, expose myself to new partners and mm-hmm. it's holding me back. I keep going back to relationships that didn't work for me with, you know, women who I, I wasn't afraid to be exposed to, but that I no longer want to be in a relationship with, but I get stuck in this sort of cycle where it's meeting my physical and emotional needs, even though it's not meeting them in the way that actually is reflective of my best self, but those physical and emotional needs seem to trump the uh, the other needs, or like the progression or the expansion. So I'd say that is really, really common, and it goes back to exactly what you said that they're they have trouble just being upfront, like confronting these challenges, right? Yeah, and and I'm wondering. So if these are what you're seeing, and if we know that men aren't necessarily talking with their buds about the the issues that they're experiencing, what do you think the prevalence of, you know, that men have these struggles or have these experiences? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the prevalence of premature ejaculation is a little bit challenging to define. Um, so going back into like that that researcher mode for a second here, dun, dun. premature sexy <laughs> researcher. I can just the, see yeah, it right now. Putting my <laughs> sexy lab coat on. Yeah. Um, so premature has been defined in a lot of different ways by different studies, different cultures. You know, if you conduct research here in the United States versus in another country, um, there's not necessarily a, a great way to define consistently and to collect data that really reflects um, 
you know, the, the, where the rubber hits the road on, mm. on people's sexual experiences. Right. And I think this is true for a lot of sex research, but yeah. for some reason, the, the literature on premature ejaculation seems to me to be a little, um, disorganized is the word, but difficult, mm-hmm. difficult to see a lot of like consistent data on the so number it's premature. that I, it's premature. Yes. I think we're, we're pretty premature. Yeah. So just, can see why there's not uh, there's not the same kind of funding put towards it as other um, um, as say erectile dysfunction for example but the number that I come back to and I feel is probably the most reflective of uh, the real prevalence of premature ejaculation is about one in ten men experiences at at one time in their life mm, mm-hmm. which is a lot that is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially for something that men don't necessarily talk to each other about, to know that it's that common, that out of every 100 men that you know, at least 10 of them have shared in this struggle. <sighs> I hope that that puts men's minds at risk. Yeah. At risk. Can you, so I want every man and, and woman who's listening to this, imagine on the day of Super Bowl and you're there with, with like 10 of your best buddies, <laughs> at least one of you <laughs> has experienced it. So you're not alone. Maybe all 10 of you have. <laughs> Absolutely. Could be Right. I think if we expand our definition, you know, from the idea of premature is like under three minutes after penetration, which, you know, we all know that sex doesn't start with penetration. It doesn't end with ejaculation. Right. Sex Mm -hmm. is a little bit more fluid and more and and we should not necessarily be stuck to these really strict ideas of starting and stopping. I like to define premature as before you and your partner were ready. Oh, I like that. Which could be any other time. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're cool with two minutes and, and everybody's cool, like legitimately okay with awesome about that, celebrating it, then you don't got a problem. Exactly. Exactly. And if on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you're, you're lasting for 30 minutes, but you want to gain more time and that's not enough time for you and your partner to be really cool with it. Then 30 minutes could be premature to you. Mm, I love that. And what Mm. about some of the other ones? Uh, like the other, oh, oh, the prevalences. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen statistics for erectile dysfunction, um, at like 6% of men under the age of 50. And I think it's a really, really important distinction to make when erectile dysfunction, when we discuss erectile dysfunction, there is definitely an age component bodies change, our circulatory system changes, the way that we relate to sex, the way that we relate to our partners changes as we age. So erectile dysfunction is fairly common in men over the age of 60 and right, fairly common. Again, the the research suggests that it could be as much as 20%. It's probably higher than that. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, especially if you're fortunate enough to live to be, you know, in your 70s, your 80s, then I think the prevalence is creeping up towards, you know, from time to time. Right. Again, is it every single time that you go to get an erection or is it from time to time when you go to get an erection? Right. The diagnostic criteria could be blown pretty wide or it could be very, very narrow. And if we look really wide, if we look across the entire spectrum and just say, can you consistently get an erection every time that you want one? It's probably, you know, that that's yeah. occurring to like one percent of men, right? Even in a younger age bracket. Yeah. So they're super common. They're more common as you age. And if, you know, if there's men who are experiencing erectile dysfunction. Oh, and I should know, I have found that these often exist as two sides of the same coin. 
So for some of the people who I've worked with who came to me for premature ejaculation and worked on that, they often also struggled with some version of erectile dysfunction. So Mm. even though we tend to think of these as very, very different, there is overlap. And so, you know, when you add these things up and you look at the entire male population, statistically, every person has had some challenge in this department. And yeah. we really over-medicalize these and, and paint them as like a diagnosis when really it's just part and parcel of like having a penis. <laughs> if you have a penis, you may experience these problems at least yes. once. And, you know, I think <laughs> this is important to point out that it can take just one time to end up causing a performance anxiety later on. So Mm -hmm. even if it just happens one time, we can anticipate it happening again, which can cause, perpetuate the problem. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly, exactly. People are, men especially tend to be very focused on performance. Mm -hmm. And the more focused you become on performance, and then if you start to look at, you know, challenges that you had with performance, it can really get blown out of proportion. So something that would have just been uh, an anomaly becomes a story that you live about your sexuality. Mm, Stories about the penis. I can see it. It's Mm going to be a bestseller now. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think some of the, the problems or some of the reasons that the men are having these problems? Like what, what kind of things under underlie it? Mm. I think the underlying cause of premature ejaculation is anxiety, like stress and tension in the body, right? (sighs) And as they relate to orgasm, right? Like tension really literally in the body has a very close relationship with orgasm or in this case, ejaculation, right? Say Uh, that again. Tell me more about that. Yes, yes, yeah. Yes. So when when you are experiencing a lot of t- so so like let's let's just talk take a whole step back and look at how orgasm works, right? Mm-hmm. Orgasm works as a build up of sensation followed by a pleasurable release, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that build up of sensation is often the experience of like building tension, you know. Um, If you think about how many people sort of squeeze some of their muscles, whether that's their pelvic floor muscles or for a lot of men, it's like their thighs, their glutes, their abs. They squeeze these muscles in order to help their bodies to achieve ejaculation, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. When when you're entering into sex with already a lot of tension, it's like on an energetic level, you're already squeezing and tensing, right? Yes. Um, And that puts you closer to reaching orgasm just off just on a just on a very basic level right but then you add in these other anxieties that men experience especially when it comes to premature ejaculation like performance anxiety right the feeling that they need to perform that they need to get their female partner off that there's an expectation on how long they're going to last what they're going to be capable of doing right so much pressure built into and sexual experience sort of if you are already prone or you deal with anxiety already in any other aspect of your life, and then you're bringing all of that into the bedroom with you, because you know, often we see the bedroom is our, our sexual relationship is sort of a um, a reflection of our overall life, oh, totally right? our overall way of doing life, right? Um, so I see I see that as the closest connection um, to premature ejaculation. That's the thing that I see for the people who come to me, that when they start to really work on what's causing their anxiety, how to manage their anxiety, like what is the root, what is the root of the anxiety that they're feeling, both when it comes to sex and then outside of sex, then they can really make a lot of headway um, 
into uh, <laughs> lasting longer and better. <laughs> she said headway. Headway. I couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point because what I'm what's coming to my mind right now is the lifestyles that we've created for ourselves in this society that are just perpetuating the contraction held in the body, like the tension tension. And it's hard to think about, you know, being able to have that the the contractions from orgasm when the body's already tense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you're already feeling a lot of um, pressure on yourself to perform and you're not really able to be in your body relaxing, just being with the experience, then your body has this sort of like built in mechanism to bring you to ejaculate quickly and relieve that tension. Mm, wow. <clears throat> yeah. So, and so say one of one of our dudes out there, they're like, no, my life is pretty chill, but I'm still experiencing some of these things. What kind of, what other things do you help them look at Mm. as culprits? So oftentimes it's the relationship, right? I'm sure you've seen in your practice that sex can be the canary in the coal mine. Right. Tell me more. (laughs) So if you're if you're experiencing other relationship challenges that are going unaddressed, sometimes that comes out first in the bedroom, but people will ignore the challenges or at least try to bury or repress them or act as if they're not there until it impacts their sex life. Mm. Men in particular, because maybe they've been told that they should be so uh, sexually masterful and sexually driven and desirous and and that sex should be a really important and large part of their life where they might not actually address a challenge that's just come up in the relationship will frequently address something that come up, comes up in the bedroom. Right. So often what has to happen when someone comes to me to work on, um, lasting longer in bed is that they actually need to shift something in the relationship. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Your body's sort of just a reflection of what's going on. That's a really good point. I've also seen the same thing with some of my male clients, too. And uh, I think one of the big things, and you brought this up earlier, too, is this idea of, you know, vulnerability Mm -hmm. and just uh, how it can scare men or intimacy or getting close to somebody. The closer we become to somebody, then the, the mm-hmm. more we're like, um, what I'm hearing from men as a common pattern is like, they're afraid of uh, commitment or they're afraid of what this could mean. Or if they really let go, does that mean that the person wants me to be with them or that this, that, or the other? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And being vulnerable enough to ask those questions and really then be open to hearing the answers. Oh, right. Can sometimes have a massive effect on your physiology. And then it's not so much about stamina. It's more about partner choice or the kind of sex that we're having. Ooh, yeah. I think also we're not super literate in different ways of arousing and being aroused. You know, we have sort of a overarching idea of what sex is um, in our culture. And it's like very, very physical, very genital based, very mm-hmm. much about, um, you know, kind of like it's beyond definition, right? Because it's, it's everything that we see. Like sex is sort of confined to one very specific portrayal of what eroticism can be. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, 
Oh, go ahead. I just want you to de- like describe to me like what this type of sex you're talking about. <laughs> mm, the one that we see on, the one that we see in porn, oh. right? The one that we see in our print media and advertisements. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very genitals focused, right? Yeah. It's very body focused Oof. as opposed to mm-hmm. maybe a, an arousal that's more um, sensory or an arousal that's more energetic, an arousal that's more uh, romantic or intimate. Yeah. Uh, right? You, arousal that's more about, about power. Yeah. Can you tell, can you say this in like the sexiest voice that you have? Like just continue and keep talking about the image of this sex that you're describing. The, the sexy, the version of what is sexy that I am describing is limited primarily to our triple X, naughty, sexy, dirty, uh, but not necessarily in the like kinkier power, uh, sensual all five senses (laughs) so very conventional very conventional and like stick tab a into slot b and move it in and out again and that should be enough for you and for your partner and maybe there's an orgasm maybe there's not no right there has um, it's almost like there has to be an orgasm What was the point? <laughs> yeah, it gets very, very goal oriented. Oh, I got yeah. hot up here, girl. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like sweating right now. <laughs> I'm wet, and I'm not sure if that's in a good way or not. <laughs> so we're talking about expanding this idea or the image of what sex could be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And giving ourselves permission again, which requires vulnerability to Ooh. expand it to other versions of sex or thinking on the other side of the spectrum, like sex without a erection. Right. Can we expand our definition of sex so broadly that it no longer is erection centric? Wow. Oh. Good luck with convincing the men that they don't need an erection. <laughs> how do you how do you help men to understand that, or how do you help them to expand their their understanding of sex? Because mm. it's mm. very perpetuated by, like you said, porn and society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also that the. And, and in the conversations that men have with each other, right, when oh. they do talk about sex, uh-huh. it also is very erection centric, right? I think the the way that I approach that is by challenging their conventions in other areas, right? Like showing them that they they do go against the grain or they do challenge conventions uh, in their career or in mm. their family relationships or in their spirituality, right? And that it is safe. We create a safe enough container to challenge the conventions around sex and sexuality. And then suddenly some of that some of that armor that they thought was protecting them. Uh, Uh, Or protecting them from disappointing their partner, from feeling like they're not providing or not pleasing in the way that men are supposed to, starts to melt away. Mm, Wow. What do you think men see? Like how I'm just imagining like the image that men get about what it means to be a man. And a lot of it, it revolves around their their ability for their penis. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. And then, and how to rewrite that script. That's a very deeply held script. Uh Fortunately, our entire culture, at least today has started to really challenge, you know, those uh, older gender norms. Right. And that is creating such a very powerful blueprint. It's not necessarily reached all cisgender, heterosexual men just yet, but the blueprint and the energy is in place. Uh And when other people confront those challenges and start to ask, well, why is it that people with my body are expected to do A, B, and C or experience sex in these ways, then they Mm -hmm. start to shift that entire conversation that gives people of all body types and all genders and all sexualities permission to start to shift and challenge those things and recognize that they're not held in safety by hanging on to them, that instead by challenging them and questioning them, there's this other, you know, uh, sort of freedom that becomes available once you release those uh, those notions that are not serving you that weren't mm. even yours to begin with that you picked yeah. up from someone else. Like a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You picked from somebody else. Or you picked from your from your porn site on mm-hmm. your computer, which have, that makes me really interested. I have so many men who ask me, you know, is porn impacting my ability to relate sexually with a partner or with Mm. with myself. I'm wondering what you're seeing as a common pattern. Because there's so much research out there that's like, porn is great or porn isn't great. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it's just all (laughs) confusing to people. I always tell people, like, research is biased. You know, as much as we like to think that it's objective and it's purely objective, you will find whatever it is that you're looking for. 100%. And when it comes to sex and sexuality, so much of it is so subjective that the researchers, we really do the best that we can. And I was a professional sexual health researcher for many years before Mm -hmm. I started coaching. And you're always, you know, one person's experience is one person's experience. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and the same is true with porn consumption. Right. Not everyone consumes porn in the same way. I think that for for my clients who are utilizing porn intentionally and consciously to mm-hmm. expand their minds, to be introduced to new and exciting sexual practices, to to take part in in uh, like a voyeuristic sense of some of the practices that they might not want to partake in, you know, with their own body, then porn can be a fantastic tool. I guess it's porn is sort of a tool, right? Mm. And just like all tools, it can be used for good and it can be used for destruction. Mm. Um, and I don't think that anyone is consciously using porn to negatively affect their sex life. I I think that that's, that's a, that's an unspoken consequence. So for the people who come to me, especially if they're dealing with premature ejaculation, I generally instruct them to either stop watching porn altogether during the time that we're working together because we need to sort of reset their sexuality and that's a very personal journey. Um, And porn can sometimes be a sort of um, external factor, right, to what otherwise is really internal work. Uh, Or if they can't, and I've certainly worked with a lot of men who, upon hearing that recommendation, just rebuffed. I can't stop watching porn. I'll never be able to get an erection if I don't watch porn. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, my, my arousal is so dependent on, on visual aids that I don't, I don't think I can bring myself all the way to orgasm or ejaculation if I'm not watching porn. And that to me is part and parcel of the rebuilding and the transformation that's got to go on if they are going to have the sex life that they want, including lasting as long as they want. 
or as long as they and their partner collectively decide is right for them. Yeah. Wow. I think that my, my meet, oh, so I guess the, the step down from that, I should say for anyone listening, if they're interested is to switch to at least watching just one actress, you know, one person, one, one person's porn. Uh-huh. And then once you can kind of acclimate to that, switching to still images. So in other words, you're transitioning from having all of the kind of imaginative work done for you, all the creative work. All you have to do is navigate to the site and click. And then it's like a buffet of bodies and uh, <sighs> actions and experiences, right? And then we sort of switch over to all of that creative work going on inside of your own imagination. Yeah. And and um, one, one other thing I think that is really important to consider the way that our brains interact with porn really on a, on a physiological, neurological level is that the very existence of porn is something that we as human beings are not, we, we did not evolve to have this sort of catalog of sexual experiences and sexy bodies, <laughs> sexy people doing whatever at this, you know, as quickly as we can type. Right. So we have to also be considerate of the way that porn interacts with us and our sort of like monkey brain, our lizard brain, right. Our not as conscious, not, mm-hmm. uh, not, not as, uh, forward thinking brain as yeah. a monkey. Yeah, I always tell uh, my clients, you know, especially if they have a partner that they're sexually active with, to pick an actress that really resonates or looks like your partner, because what it does is it imprints on your brain to to get aroused by a specific stimulus. Mm, do you find that that as um, it's been helpful that that. Is mm-hmm. that effective with them? Yeah, yeah, it has been. And you bring up a really good point about this. So I was trying to trying to de- decipher, you know, as you're talking about, um, and I think you did a really good job of the difference between conscious use of of porn versus unconscious use of porn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you're sitting and and pulling up the porn site and just kind of letting it roll and mindlessly masturbating and sort of numbing out to porn or masturbating just to get the release of ejaculation and not, you know, not, not engaging with that entire process of, of being with your arousal. That's what I would consider an unconscious use of porn. Ah, I love that last statement being with your arousal, which is also very mindful. So it's like mm-hmm. tuning into the sensations, tuning into the body process as you're watching it and not just disconnecting from your body and mm-hmm. viewing it. Yeah, I get so many emails and messages from men who are worried that they might be addicted to porn. Yeah. Um, or <laughs> and and, and, <laughs> and I think that just like any other addiction, the definition is strictly, is it getting in the way of your life, you know, your, your emotional life, your relationships, your financial life, right? Do you feel like this thing has got the reins over you and you're missing, you know, hanging out with your friends because you're staying home to watch porn or, you know, you're having trouble getting other, you know, like feeding yourself, bathing yourself, right? Getting, taking care of yourself, um, because of your relationship to porn and in, in those situations, I say, yeah, there's something that really needs to be examined here. And if you're concerned about it at all, then taking steps down to see if the thing that you're actually, um, the the thing that you're actually addicted to is the process of arousal ejaculation. 
right? Um, mm. the, the sort of reward, the very real reward that happens in our brain when we reach orgasm, right? It might not be that you're addicted to porn itself. It might be that you are addicted to the, the pleasure that you receive from reaching orgasm mm. and the numbing that that allows for you, right? We can use sex so so as not to feel things just as much as we can use as we can use it to feel things. Oh my God. That's such a golden statement there. Yes. I, one thing that I'm hearing from men is that, and so everything that's happening in society right now, like it's all over our news about sex and about, you know, mm. what's happening between men and women. And, and it, it's creating a lot of fear around approaching women or around, um, you know, can I ask this person out or am I going to be perceived as creepy or a predator just because I desire sex? And Mm -hmm. so as a result, I'm seeing inhibition or awkwardness that's happening. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to see that happen with Mm -hmm. our men. So, Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how, because there's a lot of then shaming around it. And not all men are out there to to predator or like, wait, right. we just want to celebrate sex. <laughs> right. And those men who are asking that question are usually not the culprits <laughs> of a lot of the assaults and harassment out there. Yeah. <laughs> so how yeah. do you, what do you say to men who are experiencing this? Because it's even happening to my brothers over here. Like they're like my friends and they're like, I just don't even know can I want sex? Like no, it's gotten to that so point. Like, and I just, I just want to like go out and have sex. And then now I feel like a shitty person for just wanting that. Yeah. Oh, it's so heartbreaking because men, we want you to want sex. <laughs> we want it. You know, we've done a lot to smash the myth that women don't want sex. Mm-hmm. Right. And now it's like, it's okay. It's acceptable. Like women can want sex. And it's almost like we've gone so far in the other direction that, that we've, we've shamed men into thinking that it's wrong for them to want it. Yeah. I think as with so much of, of, being a a member of a functioning society, like we're all about balancing, right? Mm -hmm. There's a balance between what I taking, what I want and asking for what I want and being Mm. clear about what I want and being demanding with what I want, (sighs) right? Like we have to find a balance that works for us and that's work. And this is in many ways, sort of a good thing that, that we're engaging with this in such a conscious way. Right. But it can't be, we, we can't be so uh, eager to engage with it consciously that we actually work ourselves away from the thing that we want. One thing that I've noticed is very helpful for men who are experiencing that is getting in touch with their, um, their, the, like a, 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 a sort of archetype of masculinity that is very, um, desirous, like that does want mm. to, to take what he wants. Right. And not, not, not in the actions of not actually like doing things that, um, that violate someone's consent or anything along those lines. Right. right. What I mean is playing with that archetype, like embodying it, stepping mm. into it, right. Giving yourself permission to fully embody what that means to you. And then recognizing that ultimately you do have control over that, right? Just because you've stepped into a man who is really desirous and who is 
open about expressing his his arousal, right? Open about expressing his, um, his want, his, his, his sexuality, right? That you can be in that space without completely losing control. You can be in that space and still practice active consent. You can be in that space and still feel like your actions are in alignment with your best self, your highest good, your true core values. But the only way to get there is by practicing. And the only way to practice is through embodying. Mm. And what would you describe as, as these archetypes? Like what Mm. would be some good examples of an archetype that they could take on? Mm. So each for each person, it's going to be a little bit different because each person's experience of, you know, what's naughty or what's taboo or what they're not allowed to do or be as a man is going to be, um, is going to be unique to them. Mm-hmm. But what I think of is like the, the womanizer, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the Casanova, the, oh, yeah. the man who comes in, sweeps a woman off of her feet, makes passionate love and then disappears before sunrise. Oh my God. Right. Right. <sighs> that is hot. You know, I love <laughs> the idea of someone just pleasuring me, accepting me exactly in, in all my, you know, in all my sexy weirdness, whatever it is, right? Like just getting to show your full self to this person, knowing that they're going to disappear in the morning. Um, there's something so raw and sexual about that. Oh my God. That does sound nice. I want them to make me breakfast first before they disappear yes, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, and leave like it we, on the table and leave a little yes. flower. That's it. Exactly. That's oh, oh I got to chill just thinking about that. <laughs> but I would ask, for a man to practice that is to really like dig into that part of them, right? They have that part. All men have, you know, not to generalize, I mean, the majority of men have that capacity in them, right? They, they do, they have, or some, or some version of that, right? That's the one that I see most of my clients needing to interact with or needing to embody in order to achieve this balance between it being okay to be desirous and sexual and not okay. Mm-hmm. But Assign that character, that like persona, a name, right? Get into him. What does he wear? How does he speak? Does he bite his lip when he is talking to a woman he's attracted to? You know, what does he do? How does he walk? Right? You can you can practice putting on that person. I use the same for, uh, for women who are experiencing challenges, getting into their sexual self, Mm. right? Sort of the same challenge, but the other side, like give your sexy self a name, buy her some lingerie. Like, you know, maybe say your name is Laura. Maybe Laura, it has a lot of trouble feeling comfortable with her sexuality, but can you transform into cinnamon and cinnamon can feel really great about being in her sexual self and you can buy cinnamon lingerie. It doesn't have to be for Laura. Okay. It goes on Laura's credit card, but this is for cinnamon. I love it. Playful. And it's, 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 it's safe. Yeah. Right. It's still you. You're just putting on, it's like, you know, it's like you go out for Halloween. You're just putting on a costume and feeling into it and like take him out on the town. And again, just because you're putting this, this persona on, which is entirely temporary, doesn't mean that you're going to act out of accordance with your values. Right? Uh, you are still you at the core. Yes. Yes. I love that so much, which makes me wonder. So you give archetypes to, do you do that to the partners as well, to the spouses or? 
Mm, it kind of depends on if the spouse is also having a challenge around that, right? Or mm-hmm. if their partner, so say you have a, a male partner who is feeling shamed or stigmatized about his desiring of his female partner, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's a question of like, what is the female partner doing? What role mm-hmm. does she play in that? Is is that stigma coming from him entirely? Is it coming from her? Is it coming from kind of the ways that they interact? Is there a sexual pain point that happened, you know, months or years ago that didn't really properly get healed and attended to. And now there's sort of all this like scar tissue and inflammation around it. That's keeping people apart. Mm, Yeah. Um, And would, because what I, what I'm thinking is, um, I'm sure you get couples who come in and partners want to be able to support their man. mm -hmm. What would you say to them because I, I know they don't want to shame their partner. They don't want them to make them feel bad. In fact, I've heard people be like, well, I, I don't want to say anything because I don't want them to feel bad. I don't want to hurt his feelings. But how, what might be some ways that they can support their partner in this process? Yes, that's so common oh, in male-female relationships and, and always, right? Like how many women have you spoken to who aren't consistently reaching orgasm mm-hmm. and they don't want to say anything because they don't want to hurt their male partner's ego? Yeah. And on the other hand, when it comes to maybe premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction, like he knows, right? You not wanting to say it up or bring it up to him doesn't change the fact that he's you know, very, very aware of what his body is doing. And he's super tuned in to even the slightest bit of shame or stigmatization because he's feeling it, right? He's, he's projecting it. He's piling it onto himself. So as a female partner, being willing to just open up the conversation, right? And being willing to be very accepting and supportive of whatever comes out, right? And, and sometimes that means really pushing him to seek help. I think that that's one of the core uh, core tenets of, of this entire conversation. Sometimes your partner, in fact, often your partner is not the right person to help you. They might be the right person to engage in a, in a kind of a introductory conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and add some acknowledgement and some awareness. But after that, seeking professional help and mm-hmm. then supporting your partner to in seeking and getting that professional help and just being with them and recognizing that this is very much a process. You know, some men experience overnight, suddenly they are able to accept a part of them. And then it's like the floodgates open, the erection comes back, they're able to last longer in bed. I've seen it. I've seen men transform from, you know, lasting 30 seconds to a minute with, with in, you know, vaginal penetration to lasting 15, 20, 30 minutes, literally within the course of weeks, because they were able to accept, acknowledge, and then do the work. And there are, there's some really like physical work, um, that's got to go into changing it, especially around premature ejaculation. Um, so, so the other way that female partners can support their male partners in this is giving them space around the work that they've got to do without mm. expectation, mm. right? Taking control of your own orgasm, like, like, for, for women across the board, even if your man is not struggling with this at all, being responsible for your own orgasm, both independently as solo sex that you're having with yourself and bringing that to partnered sex, right? Taking that responsibility away from him and thus alleviating some of the pressure that he's putting on himself to last longer yeah. or to get and stay hard. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's because it like comes back to what we were describing earlier as like the goal oriented type of sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Removing that and being like, Hey, let's redefine sex for us. And we allow the process to go at its pace. Right. And where else are we experiencing pleasure? How can we make this entire experience more pleasurable and not just about reaching orgasm or some of these other sort of indicators of sex and sexiness? Mm, I love that. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what's coming to my mind right now is as we were talking about the image of masculinity in this society and how that it can impact our, you know, our sexiness, our sexuality, um, cause us, you know, to, of what is sex. And I'm wondering, I get this a lot from, from women, especially they're like, oh, like he, you know, the, the idea that men don't want emotionally connected sex or they mm-hmm. just, you know, and I, and I wonder, and I don't think that's real. I think men do mm-hmm. want emotionally connected sex. Mm-hmm. And I wonder mm-hmm. if they, I think it's scary. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's scary for all of us. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think, so and, and like I had said earlier, that there's this, what I'm seeing as a common pattern is this fear of intimacy or this fear of letting go or this fear of emotional connection. But I think that they, re- they really do want that. And, but th- there's almost like this holding back. And do you mm-hmm. see this as a common thing in, in your practice? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. That fear around vulnerability, fear around stating that you have emotional needs, right? This idea mm. of, of men not needing the support of anyone or anything else and certainly not benefiting from uh, from being open in relationships, which is the opposite of all of the evidence, right? There's a, there's a lot of evidence that supports that men benefit from being in relationships with women that are emotionally connected mm. across the board. And interestingly, women also benefit from having relationships with women that are emotionally connected, like allowing men or men allowing themselves to be held by their feminine partner, their feminine friends, their feminine professionals, right? People who are capable of doing that work and holding space for them in a feminine way benefit from it. Oh my God. Right? I love mm-hmm. that. It's almost like this permission to be able mm-hmm. to feel or to drop into that space that may not be desirable, for, you know, socially desirable to be crying or to be like upset about something or just needing comfort. Right. Maybe needing to be held because there's, yeah. yeah, there's like core wounds that are going on there and they need to be addressed carefully and, and lovingly, you know, just taking that one step at a time. And, mm. you know, we discussed earlier about men feeling like they can't be sexual, right? Um, or they can't they can't be like open about their desire. And I think that this is exactly it. This is part of it, right? Is that if you feel like what you really want is emotionally connected sex, and on one hand you believe that women don't want to have sex with you, and on the other hand you believe that there's something emasculating about emotionally connected sex, that to me is like a perfect storm for just wanting to shut down all of your arousal, all of your desire, you know, pack it up, put it away, repress it, act like it's not there. Because how can you express yourself and get those needs met if you're feeling like, you know, that that, that they're wrong, they're shameful, or on the other hand, that the people who you want to meet them with don't have those same needs 
you know, in return. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So really, I think encapsulating all of this conversation that we've had is like, is see men as more than just these horny men who want, who just want <laughs> some from themselves, but there's, there's a complexity there. There's layers there. They, there's a richness to men and all these things that can be occurring or to impact their sexuality. And so I think we, if we could adopt more of a compassionate piece and see men as struggling with all these internal things, just as much as we do as women and, Mm -hmm. and we can give them space to, to explore that and to understand for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can really transform sex for both men and for women. Oh my God. If you could give our listeners a couple of takeaways or, or things that they can do to implement right now that would help them, what would that Mm -hmm. be? My, my number one piece is always look at how you look at your self pleasuring, your self eroticism. How are you masturbating? Are Mm. you masturbating in a way that brings you closer to yourself sexually and closer to an understanding and an acceptance Mm. of your sexual self? Or are you masturbating in a way that creates distance, creates a sort of a sense of numbing, um, or resists what it is that you are actually looking to cultivate in your life. I think so much of sexuality, you know, we've been taught is based somehow on other people when all of our sexuality starts right at home with us always. Mm. Uh, that's, that is my, that's always my sort of like go-to takeaways. If you change those practices, you can transform your sex life. You don't necessarily need your partner. You don't need a partner. If you have a partner, you don't need them to be on board. Uh, you can actually transform the way that you exist sexually completely independently and bring that to strengthen your partnership or transform your partnership. Mm. Um, if it, if it can't make space for your own erotic discovery. That's amazing. Uh, And my other takeaway would be familiarize yourself with the different languages, languages that you're already speaking of arousal and and partnered sex, right? Just because we have our sexy sex version of porn and genitals and orgasm and all of that stuff doesn't mean that whatever, you know, creeps in at sort of the edges of your consciousness as arousing to you, listen to that. Listen to that subtle voice that says, wow, I actually feel really aroused just from listening to this music with my partner or Mm. receiving this sort of, you know, not explicitly sexual touch. That's really arousing to me. Give yourself permission to explore and expand into those other ways of being, ways of experiencing eroticism and see really what exists for you there. Mm. And then finally, one more takeaway just for my men out there. Look at where either anxiety or stress impacts your life. And if they're having massive impacts outside of the bedroom and you're really struggling to manage them just in your day to day, then look at how or consider that that might be what's holding you back or causing your challenges in the bedroom, in your sex life. And that if you do the work around alleviating the pressure, managing the anxiety, transforming it into something different, like moving that energy, you can actually change your sex life, change your intimate life and have massive benefit to whatever else is being impacted by anxiety and stress. That's so powerful. Now, I know you want to share with our listeners something really special, given everything that you've shared with us today. 
Yes, I'd like to offer uh, listeners of this podcast a free consultation with me. So if you had some questions, if I brought up something that you know, was very, uh, triggering or alarming or like, you know, really resonated with you as something that you have experienced. I'm happy to dive down deeper, Mm -hmm. um, in, in individual conversations and help you just to figure out maybe a little bit more about what's going on or set you up on a path of, of healing and transformation. Oh my God. That's such an amazing gift to share. And how can our listeners find more about you? So you can find that offer and sign up for it at caitlinvneal.com slash sex love yoga. Um, and I'll spell Caitlin. And of course, I'm sure it'll exist in the show notes, <laughs> but it's C-A-I-T-L-I-N-V-N-E-A-L.com slash sex love yoga. And you can connect with me there. Please uh, follow me on Instagram or on YouTube at Caitlin V. I'd love to hear from you. Love to hear uh, your comments and your thoughts on everything that we discussed today. Oh, that's so amazing. There was so much talked about today. And these are epic. You can find all the resources and the tips on my website, eplaysex.com, um, where you can get all the show notes, all the links, all the things. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much, Caitlin. This was enlightening. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kat, for having me on. This was amazing. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> So lovers, thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please head to eplaysex.com, subscribe to the show and connect with me. Grab our sexy guides. And because my goal is to help you to eat, play and sex better so you can really improve your sex life, which we all know and discuss today improves every aspect of your life. So I'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.